Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Today on Law Junkie Show, was Elizabeth Holmes' youth and inexperience a legitimate defense? What do the different counts in this case mean? And is the prosecution finally getting ahead in this trial? Last week in the Elizabeth Holmes trial, the jury assembled to hear more from Steve Bird, the former CEO of Safeway Stores. At one point, Kevin Downey, Elizabeth Holmes' attorney, said you knew at the time Elizabeth Holmes was a very young entrepreneur, again, bringing her age into the picture. It seems like this message of her being young and that that is relevant in some way is really getting through to the jury. We had one juror who was week before last asked to be replaced saying that her Buddhist beliefs prevented her from moving forward in case she were to wrongly convict Ms. Holmes, she would not be able to live with that. The alternate juror who was called forward then expressed some concerns of her own, saying that English was not her first language, and she was concerned that maybe she would miss something or misunderstand something important, and that that would lead to a wrong conviction of Ms. Holmes. And then she gestured to Ms. Holmes, saying, she's so young. Again, her age playing a part in this trial. But does it play any part in this trial? Can it? Should it? I think the defense is attempting to plant this idea that Elizabeth Holmes' age made her so inexperienced and lacking in knowledge that she would be able to be manipulated by Sonny Balwani, one, And two, that she wouldn't have known better, meaning she couldn't have, again, had the intent to defraud because she just thought, well, this is what I'm going to keep doing. And and that kind of innocent Pollyanna approach of I can do anything and this is Silicon Valley and I have billionaires behind me. We can make this happen. Youthful exuberance, youthful belief that anything is possible. I think that's one defense strategy. And remember, the defense here is going to do everything they can to convince the jury that she lacked intent to commit wire fraud and conspiracy to commit wire fraud. Absent intent, she, under the law, cannot be found guilty. Can inexperience be used as a defense when it comes to intent? Not directly, but indirectly. And that's what I, again, I think is happening here. Just simply saying, well, I don't have experience doesn't mean you didn't know that something was wrong and that you were lying to doctors and investors and patients and you hid material facts. 
that alone will not protect you. However, again, if they paint this broader picture of, well, she was inexperienced. She saw how people will, you know, make a big, gigantic promise and deliver on just a portion of it and still become billionaires. I mean, that is the Silicon Valley way. They don't, even Elon Musk, who is one of the most successful, I believe he just became the richest man on earth in human history, um, delivers late, under delivers, underperforms, does it time and time again, and is rewarded for it. So if that's your model, that's what Elizabeth Holmes was doing. That's the defense here, I think, that actually works in her favor. Whether it's working with the jury is what we'll find out. To that end, is there some kind of time frame that makes the difference? Like, for example, Elon Musk at one point did produce things he said he was going to produce. So we have a car, we have solar panels, we have, you know, whatever else. So what's the time frame on that? Is there one 10 years, 20 years, eight years? There is no hard and fast rule. Um, so it's in, in the legal jargon, it's called a bright line rule. Here, there isn't one. So it's up to the jury's discretion. It's called a fact dependent inquiry. And the jury analyzes all the facts for the situation and says, this is reasonable. This is not reasonable. And, you know, again, the difference here, you bring up an excellent point, which is eventually in the case of like Elon Musk, he does deliver. It's just late. You know, I'm going to have this, this car done by this time period. Well, it's two years late. You know, investors don't care about that. And I promise you, that a lot of these investors had a lot of that same mentality coming into this. And that is why I still believe, at least in terms of wire fraud against investors, that not necessarily doctors and patients, but against investors, this is why we've talked about this idea that these are sophisticated investors who have experience in Silicon Valley, who understand that promises are big and bold and often are late and often are less than what we're promised. The charges in this case are fraud and conspiracy to commit fraud. Can you explain the different counts and how you can be found guilty on one count and not on another? Right. Well, so these counts ha are separated by who was being allegedly defrauded. So there's wire fraud is one of the counts against investors. Then it's conspiracy to commit wire fraud against investors. It's wire fraud against doctors. It's wire fraud against patients, you know, and by the way, on the patients, it's one count per patient, but it's one general wire fraud count against investors. So I could have not necessarily defrauded investors, but definitely defrauded a patient again. So the standard, what I'm trying to do here, the elements of the crime are the same, this material information being wrong that you're giving to the doctor, the patient, the investor. But what that information is, is dramatically different. In the case of a patient, it's sending them a test result that you know is incorrect or should have known and you had knowledge of it. 
Whereas an investor, it's, hey, we absolutely are on track and everything is is hunky-dory and you're going to make your billions when they know that that's not truth. And, and, and the documents show that that's not truth. These, those are very different sets of facts. And doctors are the same way. If they're saying, hey, start using our tests, we have successfully run 237,000 tests using the Edison piece of equipment and they factually have not, well, that would indicate fraud to a doctor. But again, it's the information that you're giving an investor is different than information that you're allegedly defrauding a patient out of. And that's why there are different counts and therefore the different categories of people who could have been defrauded, allegedly. Steve Bird testified that Miss Holmes had no attorney during their negotiations. They went back and forth, back and forth, and it really stood out as unusual to him. So if that is unusual, what does that say to you as an attorney? For example, maybe she wouldn't be in this mess if she had used more attorneys in the beginning, would you say? Or does this kind of make her look like she was hiding something? Well, this, again, really depends on the facts around that situation. In and of itself, it doesn't necessarily mean anything. However, if in earlier negotiations with other potential retail partners, she was using attorneys, and then as things started going sour, she decided in this situation, oh, I don't want my attorney in this, then that would indicate a problem. And again, it just really depends on all the circumstances. You know, as an attorney, of course, I look at that and go, of course you need to have your attorney involved in a gigantic, what was this, like a $55 million negotiation with Safeway? You have to have your attorney there. You, Especially if they're going to be arguing things like, oh, she's so young and inexperienced. Well, then why the hell is she arguing or, excuse me, negotiating a deal with Safeway for $55 million? She can't be that young and inexperienced then. Or is this evidence of her extreme hubris that she has that would further support the prosecution's assertion that she committed fraud because she's so bold that she thinks, I know better than everybody else, which actually would let Sonny Balwani potentially off the hook. So this is complicated. Again, individual facts, individual scenarios are almost impossible in this situation to judge. That's why it's the whole set of facts and the circumstances around it that matter when a jury considers things. Speaking of Sonny Balwani, we saw several more texts this last week from him telling Elizabeth Holmes to cool it, to calm down, tone it down, not in those words, but to that effect. So we haven't heard from the defense yet as far as them presenting their side of the argument, but how can they possibly use this defense that Sonny Balwani was running the show when we've just seen several texts to the contrary? It's almost like they're just trying to plant an idea in our minds, but yet there's so far has been no evidence to support that particular claim. 
So this is, again, that, that idea of all the different facts surrounding, it's called the totality of circumstances. Um, Sonny Balwani could have been in charge, and she was off having meetings without him, doing her whole thing, thinking, hey, I'm the founder of this, I'll say what I want. And he's saying something else. This is these, By the way, these types of conflicts within businesses are normal. And if I'm the defense... That's what I'm going to argue in my case in chief in defense of Elizabeth Holmes or in the case of Sonny Balwani's trial when that comes up. If I'm his defense attorney, that's what I would argue. The totality of the circumstances show that that businesses have constant disagreement among management, among executives. Now, granted, publicly, they try and present a you know coherent, unified front and without ever exposing these types of rifts. But I, I will tell you, I personally have been in meetings where there is heated debate and exchange over disagreements regarding approach and what is the best way to do things. But ultimately, in those situations, when, when a company makes a decision or the decision maker makes a decision, after contemplating the evidence and the facts argued by other members of the team, they're generally okay because there's something called the business judgment rule that says that, you know, executives, officers have this power to make judgments in, in their own discretion. And so, so you can't hold them liable just because there's a disagreement. John Carreyrou, the Wall Street Journal writer, formerly, who now has a podcast called Bad Blood, filed a motion with U.S. Magistrate Judge Nathaniel M. Cousins granting Carreyrou the privilege to watch the trial. Did Elizabeth Holmes' team try to prevent him from doing that, and that's why he had to file this motion? Without having read the filing on that, yeah, that would make sense that her team would try and stop Carrie Rue from being there. I mean, remember, he's the guy that exposed everything about Theranos. He's the one who brought it to light. He's the one who's essentially been the chief prosecutor of Theranos, of Elizabeth Holmes, of bringing all of their wrongdoing to light. And if he's going to be testifying against Elizabeth Holmes, I believe he is on the prosecution's witness list. Um, he's probably on the defense witness list as well because they probably want to impeach him, but they would not want him there. Furthermore, it's not necessarily usual that a key witness would be watching the trial because the defense in particular would not want him to pick up on things that other witnesses are saying and or make Ms. Holmes uncomfortable in trial. She'll have the right to confront her accuser in a criminal trial. And they want to do that at the appropriate time. And again, like so many other things that we've talked about in this trial, Judge Davila has immense discretion to control his courtroom. And in this case, pretrial motions like this are handled by, in this case, the magistrate judge. So Sonny Balwani's 
team was not given any special seating. They, they aren't allowed. They can come, but they can't have reserved seats. Do we know if Kariru now, with this granted motion, will be given a, a reserved seat or be allowed? And does he have to wait in line with everyone else? Well, I can't imagine that he would be given a reserved seat. So it's most likely that he would have to stand in line with everybody else and uh, endure the joy of waiting, just like everybody else. And by the way, as he should. So what is a U.S. magistrate judge? Why was that in a different setting than... Why was Judge Davila not making this determination, and why was the jury not privy to this? The United States Magistrate Judge is a judicial officer of the district court, um, and unlike district court judges who are nominated by the president and confirmed by the Senate, a uh, magistrate judge is appointed by a majority vote of active district judges of the court. So they're actually appointed judges, and magistrate judges handle a lot of the grunt work to free up the district court judge. For example, in criminal cases, magistrate judges, or also known as United States Magistrate Judge, are their correct titles. They handle most pretrial matters, including initial appearances of defendants, arraignments. Um, they'll in take the plea of guilty or not guilty often. They'll determine whether or not the defendant should be detained release pending trial. They handle basically all petty offense cases and most misdemeanor cases. They can also handle appeals from Social Security. I mean, magistrate judges do a ton of work. And in the civil world, they'll do pretrial motions, settlement and pretrial conferences. And magistrates hear these arguments outside the view of the jury because the jury is only supposed to hear the case as presented. They don't hear all of these other arguments that are kind of pre-trial or about the trial, functional issues about the trial at hand. So magistrates hear these things and the jury is not present. And now a question, a really good question from a listener. I'm going to read it directly. Is it no longer possible for Elizabeth Holmes to change her mind in the middle of the trial and plead guilty? Yes, Elizabeth Holmes could change her plea at this point. It is at the discretion of the judge. Her attorneys would go to Judge Davila and say, Your Honor, the defendant wishes to change her plea to guilty and you know, move forward with the sentencing phase it would be at the discretion of Judge Davila because she had previously entered her plea of not guilty. And part of what Judge Davila might consider would be th at this stage of the trial, did it, does it look like Elizabeth Holmes would be found not guilty? So judges do consider justice. So if a defendant really does look to be not guilty in this far in the trial, it looks like the defendant is not guilty the judge would not want that defendant going to prison. Um, and alternatively, the judge could consider what the judge had heard so far and reduce the sentence accordingly. 
So it, there, again, there's just so much discretion that a judge has that yes, she could change her plea and it's possible the judge would reject it. We also heard from Daniel Edlin this week, who worked very closely with Ms. Holmes, had daily contact with her, and was with her up until 2016 when he left to go to business school. Daniel Edlin testified that not only were the tours staged to just show certain things that Elizabeth Holmes wanted to be seen, but also pointed out that test results were changed information was essentially forged. Does this show a pattern? Is the, is the prosecution successfully establishing a pattern of deceit here? I think this is why rushing to judgment until the both sides have made their full cases can be problematic. The prosecution now is beginning to establish a pattern of conduct, to your point, that appears to show that they were changing test results intentionally, knowingly, in front of investors, that would suggest that they have the intent. The key is to what degree did Elizabeth Holmes know this? Because in this type of criminal trial, she had to know, and she had to know that they were changing test results but now we've had multiple people testifying that they intentionally, the company intentionally and knowingly was changing outcomes of blood tests. That's a big deal. This establishes a pattern of conduct and may very well help the prosecution demonstrate beyond a reasonable doubt that Elizabeth Holmes had the intent to commit wire fraud. This was a really fascinating change that we now have multiple people. That's a big deal rather than just one person saying, I knew that she did this. Now we've had multiple people say the company was changing these test results. Now it has to be fully tied back to Elizabeth Holmes. Thanks a lot for listening to Law Junkie Show. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and on YouTube. Follow us on social media. We're on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit us at lawjunkieshow.com. You can send us a message there on the contact form or at info at lawjunkieshow.com. We really love to get your questions and your comments, your ideas for upcoming shows. Send us legal questions. We'll answer them. Disclaimer, Law Junkie Show, including its guests and hosts, are not giving out legal advice, but discussing general legal issues. Law Junkie Show does not guarantee that the legal issues discussed are fully accurate, and it's not specific to whatever legal issues you may be experiencing. None of this advice is to be acted upon in your situation. Please seek legal advice from a licensed attorney in your jurisdiction for your individual legal matter.